the landscape of research funding offered by CIHR, the past, the present, and the future. The CIHR, which is the Canadian Institutes of Health, is a federal agency that funds Canadian academic researchers. Today we have with us Dr. Sarah Biebeck, the Associate Vice President, Research Programs Strategy at the CIHR. CIHR is part of the Government of Canada. And uh, Dr. Sarah Vivek is a guest in our podcast. This podcast is hosted by the Respiratory Structure Function Assembly um, of the American Thoracic Society. We'll be discussing the landscape of funding that is normally associated with CIHR amidst COVID-19 and the expected future of federal funding in Canada for academics going forward. So Sarah, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Sana. Thanks to you for having me. Um, yeah, we're, we're really excited about this podcast. So can you please briefly tell us about your background and your journey to working with CIHR? Sure, happy to. Um, I've worked with uh, CIHR since uh, 2010. And so I've been with the agency 11 years in a variety of different roles, uh, starting out with our Institute of Population and Public Health and then working on our evaluation, performance measurement, and governance teams before assuming um, my present role as the Associate Vice President. And I started off uh, with an interest in research many, many uh, years before that, um, actually as an undergraduate student, uh, when I came to be working on a research project related to tobacco control and linking uh, evidence and uh, programming work uh, for smoking cessation among young adults. And that led me to pursue graduate training in the area of uh, public health. And I completed my PhD in uh, health studies at the University of Waterloo. Um, I found out midway through my PhD that um, it just didn't really feel like a traditional academic path was going to be for me. Uh, I really wanted to be a part of shaping the environments and the systems in which research is conducted. And uh, so I thought that a good place to do that was by working with the Federal Funding Agency for Health Research in Canada. And um, there's been no looking back since then. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so is there anything about the CIHR that you would like to highlight at this time? Well, CIHR has existed uh, since the year 2000, and it evolved from uh, the former Medical Research Council in Canada. And uh, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research was created uh, in order to have a really broadened uh, mandate across the full spectrum of health research, from biomedical to clinical to health services and health systems, all the way through to uh, population health and health determinants. And so that transformative mandate to not only advance knowledge, but also support its translation into uh, improved health services and health outcomes for Canadians has really um, led to a number of changes in the Canadian health research environment in terms of how health research is supported and uh, how um, researchers uh, are able to pursue the full spectrum of health research uh, across disciplines and fields. So do some of these opportunities uh, cover salaries for the researchers? 
Uh, currently, CIHR does not run any competitions that specifically cover the salary of researchers. Uh, researchers are typically compensated by the institution where they're employed uh, in Canada. In our flagship competition, which is the Project Grant Program, uh, that's our big investigator-initiated program, uh, similar to NIH's R01 grants. Uh, stipends paid out of the grant to trainees and postdoctoral fellows are an allowable expense, uh, but not for uh, the principal investigators or investigator team. Uh, we do have specific competitions that provide stipends to master's and doctoral students, as well as postdoctoral fellows to uh, support them as they complete their, their training. So you did mention a few key opportunities CIHR offers uh, throughout the year. Um, are there any that you'd like to highlight right now? Uh, well, we have two major streams of funding. One is our investigator-initiated research program, and as I mentioned a moment ago, that's our project grant program, and that is open to any uh, area of uh, health research. Uh, the other stream of funding that we support is our priority-driven uh, research programs, and that's where uh, we fund health research and we collaborate across our CIHR institutes uh, in order to support research in um, particular targeted areas uh, that are really intended to achieve specific strategic objectives. And so our investigator-initiated programs make up um, just over 70% of our budget and um, our priority-driven programs make up almost 30% of our budget. So when selecting um, the recipients of the various awards, are junior and senior scientists normally in the same pool? Thanks for, for asking that. And certainly, uh, particularly through the pandemic, early career researchers have certainly been on our minds, no question about that. Uh, we're mindful of that competitive advantage uh, at which junior scientists may find themselves, or rather disadvantage at which junior scientists may find themselves when competing in the same pool uh, as senior scientists. Um, so we've tried a few uh, interventions to uh, address that. Um, and particularly in our project grant program, which accounts for the lion's share of our grants and awards funding, as I mentioned a moment ago, we actually equalize success rates for uh, what we call early career researchers. Uh, that's those within the first five years of their first academic appointment. And this uh, strategy means that we ensure that the proportion of grants awarded to those early career researchers is at least equal to the proportion of grant applications received from early career researchers. Uh, in addition, we run competitions over the course of the year that focus specifically on supporting early career researchers, uh, for example, in fields of health research where we really wanna help catalyze or build capacity. Your response actually leads to my next question. Um, which is, have the demographics or profiles of applicants evolved over the years and or more recently? Uh, the meet applicant age overall for both males and females um, and overall have remained fairly constant over time. Uh, males were over 60% of applicants in the early 2000s, but the gap has almost been closed uh, and males now represent about 51% of applicants, whereas females represent uh, 49%. And then um, how does CIHR, um, or firstly, does CIHR actively try to address equity, diversity and inclusion? Um, and if so, how? Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really excited about this, Sana. We've just 
launched our uh, new strategic plan for the agency. And um, it's a 10-year plan, uh, quite bold in orientation, and includes a, a vision where we have best health for all powered by outstanding research. And within that, equity um, really is a key part of the vision. We believe that equity, diversity, and inclusion are firmly uh, intertwined and linked to research excellence. And we also uh, have a number of levers that we use as an agency to address issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion uh, in terms of who we fund, uh, so the individual investigators, uh, what we fund in terms of the nature of the science, uh, as well as our own workforce. And so we uh, work on those issues within our agency, and we also work on them collaboratively with our sister research funding agencies, uh, the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council, as well as the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. And then um, more recently with COVID-19, how have the programs and policies changed? Well, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? Um, I don't think it'll be one that any of us will uh, will ever forget. Uh, and in early 2020, when the government of Canada was really mobilizing to address the threat of COVID-19, uh, CIHR was certainly ready uh, to do its part and ready to um, mobilize the Canadian academic community to do theirs. And so we actually temporarily paused uh, a number of our previously scheduled funding competitions so that we could really redeploy and devote our resources to delivering rapid COVID-19 funding competitions, as well as maintaining our flagship project grant competition, uh, because we knew that we could not leave a gap in support of researchers working on non-COVID related conditions and topics. CIHR also received a really significant additional one-time investment from the Government of Canada to invest in COVID-19 research. And to date, uh, CHR and our partners have invested uh, over a quarter billion dollars in more than 550 individual COVID-19 research projects. And certainly more is on the way as we uh, continue to support research to fill knowledge gaps around COVID-19 in emerging areas like variants of concern, vaccine hesitancy, and importantly, preparing for the recovery and, and future pandemics that, uh, that may occur. Um, we also recognized really early on that researchers would have their work disrupted by COVID and that their productivity uh, could suffer. And so to account for these disruptions, we actually provided supplements to researchers so that they could continue to pay salaries and stipends of students and postdocs, uh, as well as their research support personnel while their work was paused. We also provided direct support to trainees whose work and studies were disrupted by the pandemic and began compensating peer reviewers for dependent care expenses and phone and internet costs for the duration of their participation in peer review meetings, uh, recognizing that they would probably be joining those meetings from their own homes, uh, potentially while um, dealing with other uh, caregiving responsibilities, uh, whether that be for children or uh, partners or, um, or older adults. Uh, of course, in-person peer review meetings have not been possible uh, for the review of our grants. And during the pandemic, we moved to uh, virtual peer review uh, using 
Microsoft Teams. And we actually have adjudicated our largest funding competition, the project grant program using MS Teams. And it's certainly a credit to our community of peer viewers and our staff who adapted so quickly uh, to ensure that our competition could continue to run, even if delivered in a slightly different way. So that's actually really um, great to hear. And I guess, um, you know, out of curiosity, what would be um, one or two of the most frequently asked questions that you've received during um, the pandemic? Um, well, goodness, um, that's a good question, Sana. I mean, I think, um, one of the frequently asked questions has certainly been uh, around what the impact of Canada's investments in uh, COVID-19 research has been. Um, another question is uh, of all of this disruption that we've experienced, we've also seen considerable innovation and acceleration of some uh, dimensions of health research related to data sharing or the explosion of preprints um, and open access uh, opportunities. Uh, science is certainly on um, the agenda in a very different way uh, and more significant and visible way than it has been for quite some time. And so of those innovations and opportunities that have emerged during the pandemic as a result of the major disruption, which of those really merit sustaining post-pandemic and uh, as part of our recovery. And we've also heard a lot about the disproportionate impacts of the pandemic on certain segments of our research community, whether that be women or uh, researchers um, that are earlier in their career or researchers that may be operating at the intersection of race and stage of career and uh, gender. And so, um, you know, how we support those researchers in regaining any ground lost as a result of the pandemic is another uh, area that we've been asked about and are considering. So I guess um, that would lead to one of the questions we had, which was, do the stats indicate that the number of applications, um, so not necessarily the demographics, but um, but just the sheer number of applications, have they changed, uh, changed during the application cycles during COVID-19 um, for any of the award types? whether they were COVID or non-COVID? A great question. Certainly 2020, 2021 um, was a, an anomalous year uh, in the sense that the amount of funding overall awarded by CIHR has increased dr dramatically as a result of the one-time additional investments from the Government of Canada to fund COVID-19 research. Uh, in terms of our stable ongoing funding, uh, the number of applications received and funded for our flagship project grant competition has been relatively consistent despite the impacts of COVID. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, we, we did uh, during the pandemic uh, in 2020-21 uh, do a temporary pause um, around 100 of our funding competitions, uh, what we call research and priority areas. These are those strategic uh, funding opportunities. Um, and we did have to uh, pause those. Uh, so the data do show a marked dip in those sorts of competitions for the 2021, 2020-2021 uh, fiscal year. However, these competitions have since resumed uh, within the agency and we're back on track to deliver those as planned. So in essence, due to the disruption to these strategic competitions as a result of COVID, 
Uh, we did offer fewer funding opportunities in the uh, fiscal year, but we still paid out considerably more funds as a result of our targeted funding for COVID research. Um, we've analyzed the results of our COVID funding competitions using an equity, diversity, and inclusion lens. And I am really pleased to report that across all groups of applicants, statistical differences between the proportion of applicants and the proportion of successful applicants uh, were not observed. And so, um, you know, in the dimensions of gender and stage of career and uh, <clears throat> visible minorities, there were not differences. Well, that's great to hear. And you actually answered um, one of the other questions um, that was, uh, you know, on our list, which was um, if given that the funds had increased for COVID-19 work, how that impacted um, other areas, non-COVID-19 related, but you answered that. So thank you for covering that. Um, and then I guess another thing is, um, you know, given what we've learned from COVID-19, is there, you know, um, do you have any comments on whether CIHR is strategizing to encourage research aimed at potential future pandemics? Yes, absolutely. Um, we actually are really active in this space, thinking about our forward plans. And CIHR uh, is planning on um, developing a center for research on pandemic preparedness and health emergencies, which would both consolidate our internal operational effort around uh, how we design and implement funding programs related to emerging health threats uh, like COVID-19, but certainly other areas too, um, other areas of health emergency. And uh, we are also uh, using that center to really be a focal point for uh, funding research, as well as supporting its mobilization into improved uh, policies and practices in a really timely way during and in between health emergencies. So thank you for that, Sarah. So, you know, um, just out of curiosity, based, you know, you mentioned how um, the staff adjusted really well to the pandemic um, and you know, with the fact that there was virtual workspace involved. Um, so what would you say are the benefits or disadvantages of a virtual workspace? And do you feel principal investigators um, may sort of opt for that path um, going forward in their own labs or may adapt a hybrid system um, going forward? Yes. Uh, I think it's a really good question. And I think we're still learning so much, Sana. I mean, you know, there are some um, there are some dimensions of uh, work that um, involve those personal connections, those unplanned uh, interactions that don't have to occur through a meeting, um, which I at least certainly miss. And I have noticed a tremendous increase in uh, email traffic, and I've also noticed that my workday has certainly gotten a lot longer, when, uh, mainly because the time that I would have spent commuting um, to and from the office is now spent commuting from my bedroom to my guest room, <laughs> which is where my office now is. And so I have to say that on a personal note, um, you know, I have missed uh, the ability for spontaneous exchange with colleagues, and I have noticed um, 
some uh, potential inefficiencies um, that have crept in in terms of the volume of email, et cetera. But there have been huge benefits as well. I mean, the, um, the gain of time in, um, in my day, I certainly appreciate. Uh, even if I'm working longer um, hours, uh, you know, I'm able to still um, get other things done at the same time uh, in my home. And I have to say that I, I have appreciated not having as much travel and being able to actually extend my reach uh, without having an environmental impact and a temporal impact by being able to join meetings uh, across the globe uh, remotely. I think that um, you know, one of the most important dimensions of research is around the exchange of ideas and, and academic debate and thought leadership and exchange. And so I do hope that um, as we redefine what research is going to look like in a virtual space, whether that's permanently or in a hybrid way or, uh, or otherwise, I do think that this pandemic has provided us with an opportunity to absolutely ensure that those uh, really important academic debate uh, debates, which can occur face-to-face, -face, uh, still do occur in the virtual environment. Right. Um, yeah, you bring up great points, especially the gain back of time. Um, so uh, is CHR going to be opening more opportunities, um, uh, you know, different than what they had been offering or the, you know, based on the one time um, COVID-19 related um, boost to the funds? So are there going to be opening more opportunities in the foreseeable future? Yes, actually, um, we've just launched a couple of really interesting opportunities looking at the impacts of COVID-19 on uh, children, youth, and families. Uh, of course, with many school closures across jurisdictions in Canada, uh, off and on, uh, as well as the mental health impacts of the pandemic, um, we really felt it was important to invest in some research looking specifically at children, youth, and families. Uh, we also are um, looking at issues related to vaccine confidence as the uh, vaccination rollout continues in Canada, um, really understanding the issues that are driving vaccine hesitancy or supporting vaccine confidence. Uh, and so we have a funding opportunity live right now on that. And we do expect to continue uh, to, over the course of the coming year, make other investments in understanding emerging gaps and priorities related to COVID-19 that can be addressed through research, uh, as well as understanding the wider impacts of COVID-19. So what would you say are some of the lessons learned during COVID-19 that can be applied going forward in terms of CIHR programs? There have just been so many, and I think that um, you know this this experience really does um, necessitate a a deep um, review and interrogation um, of how we responded, whether that response was uh, was adequate and strategic and timely enough for the the uh, magnitude of what was in front of us, and uh, of course that work. Um, can occur to some extent in real time. And we've made a number of continuous improvements in our program delivery and in our knowledge mobilization work during the pandemic, learning from each, uh, each action uh, to improve the subsequent action. But I think the benefit of hindsight will really be important uh, as, we, as we sort of hot wash our, our actions as a funding agency. 
I think there are some really significant lessons learned around how well CIHR has collaborated and coordinated with other departments in the federal uh, government system. Our colleagues at the Public Health Agency of Canada and Health Canada and Innovation and Science and Economic Development have all been tremendous partners to us during this um, during this response. And uh, I think that the way that we have worked and uh, come to know each other during the pandemic will only serve us well for the future. I would also say that um, we have learned the value of investing in platforms, uh, not only in projects and really ensuring that we've got that uh, networked capacity happening across the country and in place uh, in between emergencies so that it can be rapidly pivoted and remobilized during emergencies. And so certainly that's an area that we uh, are going to need to consider in terms of how we invest going forward as well. Thanks for that uh, insightful response. And um, lastly, are there any topics we did not cover today that you would like to shed light on as we come to a close? No, I just want to express my gratitude to you and to the American Thoracic Society for your interest in the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and for the opportunity to speak with you about our organization and about what we've experienced uh, in our corner of the world as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, I wish all of your listeners good health and, um, and strength as we continue to deal with this pandemic uh, in practice and in our daily lives. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, and likewise, thank you for your time and for the CIHR's availability um, for you know, our request to tape this podcast. Um, you know, there are many people who would be interested in learning um, you know, how CIHR, which parallels um, NIH, I would say, um, how it has handled um, more recently the pandemic uh, situation, but just in general, how CIHR functions, because um, you know, there are many uh, Canadian researchers that attend the American Thoracic Society. And um, I think this is a topic that a lot of Canadians would be aware of, of how the academic funding works. Um, in Canada, but um, not necessarily in the US. Um, so thank you for shedding some light on that and giving us um, valuable time um, and stay safe. And then, um, yeah, we'll touch base another time. That was wonderful. Thanks so much, Sana, and best wishes to you. Thank you. Take care, Sarah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.